The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. And our scripture reading this morning is from Psalm 131. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Jordan. It's good to see all of you again, both in person and at home. Glad you're with us. Um, if I didn't get catch you earlier, my name is Stacy Croft. I'm the pastor here at Christ Pres Music Row, and um, man, enjoying um, getting to meet outside again, uh, especially as the fall continues. It's going to be sweet. I remember. I, I don't know what kind of trips you've taken um, this summer, but I remember when I was younger. Uh, growing up in Texas, one of the things we used to do in the spring was go to uh, Colorado and ski. My parents used to take me, and um, it, was a, it was a fun trip. I learned to ski when I was really young, and that was something I really enjoyed. I haven't been in years, so I'd probably you know, hurt myself. A lot of things have changed now. Everybody wears helmets and those kind of things back then. I, you just went through trees, and you didn't wear anything. You just kind of wore jeans and just went through all sorts of snow. <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous. And, uh, but one of the things I remember is flying in, I was really young, and I was flying on a plane, and I was so, um, so comfortable, you know, pr- pretty small plane, we're flying into Denver, and uh, from, from Dallas, and just comfortable, no seatbelt on, enjoying it, I was like, man, this is awesome, I can't wait to get there, and all of a sudden, boom, we hit what's called an air pocket, or a low pressure system, and the plane just drops, and, I, you know, I don't know if you've ever hit turbulence like this. It's a little different than just a regular kind of bumpy turbulence. This is like a, a sudden drop. And without, <clears throat> without, you know, any warning, no seatbelt on, I, I literally hit my head on the ceiling. And uh, it was probably, for those around, it was probably kind of funny. Here's this kid who's, you know, all chill, all relaxed, enjoying, you know, getting ready to be in Colorado and uh, thinking life is at his uh, fingertips and then suddenly hit the ceiling and I'm back to reality. I come down, I put my seatbelt on, I'm bawling, I was so young, I was bawling, crying. I remember us getting into the Denver airport and we were all shaken up a little bit, both, even my parents were. And I remember us sitting there and just saying, we're we're not even going to leave and get in a car and drive to wherever we were going to ski or whatever for a while. We're going we're gonna to kind of sit and try and, you know, kind of gather ourselves because that was an event. Uh, I don't know about you, but like after something like that, even now when I fly, I still, every bump feels a little bigger. Every safety precaution feels a little more exhausting. Feels a lot like what it's felt like for me. Uh, I don't know about you, but lately. Um, you know, we were cruising along fine for a while. All of us kind of had our life structure going, schools running. Uh, we were in class. We were, had our kids were there. We were doing our schedules. We had our, our jobs in line. Things were right. And then boom, it just dropped. We hit the ceiling. And we've been doing this for some time. And now 
every bump, every phase, everything, every mask feels like a little bit more and every precaution feels more exhausting. And we hit our limits fast. And some of us here have hit, are still in those limitations, uh, are really feeling like we're a, a car with no oil and just trying to get down the road and it's just, I mean, revving high. Some of us hit our limitations and maybe embrace them decently, kind of have loved it because it forced us to slow down. But, but now we're kind of going, okay, I've kind of done that. <laughs> what do I do now? You know, we've been looking in passages uh, called the Psalms of Ascent. It's kind of like a set list, if you will, from the Psalms. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible, the Psalms are, are a book of songs. And it's Hebrew. It's in the Old Testament. And these particular Psalms, uh, Psalm 120 through 134, are kind of like a set list that was used actually when pilgrims would make their way sometimes 90 miles away on foot to Jerusalem for religious festivals. And they would sing these. And this one, if you notice, is super short, three verses. And you imagine just singing this. I mean, you, you sing this, it, it, you're walking one mile, you probably sang this song how many times, right? How many times you played it over and over. And imagine them singing this. This one in particular was a little different. If you have uh, a Bible or you're looking on your phone or something like that, it may say a Psalm of David. It was really rare. There are four Psalms in this set list written by David or at least attributed to him. And what he often does, if you, if you read Psalms, he'll mention his soul. And he'll talk about how his soul has hit its limit. It, sometimes it's about anxiety. Sometimes it's about fear. I mean, if you've heard of the, the character David in the Bible, he went through tremendous things in his life, all of which forced him and they hit the ceiling. He was supposed to have the throne and yet the current king tried to kill him and he had to run. He lived in caves for a long time hit the ceiling, he had to feel his limitation. Even when he was king, there were several times, whether other armies, whether his own sin, his sin seeing himself trying to take other people's wives, these, these struggles that he had over and over, that David faced, he hit the ceiling, he felt and experienced his limitation. And over and over, he addresses his soul in the midst of that. Imagine that. What if we were to be able to address our souls right now? What if we were to, as it says, have a calmed and quieted soul in the midst of whatever ceiling you've hit, whatever limits you've brushed up against, whether they're encouraging or difficult? As you can say, my soul is quieted and calmed. I'll tell you, I need that. Man, I was in my backyard just yesterday uh, and a hummingbird came. I know this sounds so funny. You're going to laugh at me for this. This hummingbird can. I, you know, there, we live in Nashville. A lot of animals, like, just kind of find their way around wherever they want. It's kind of beautiful. The hummingbird came in, and, and when you see a hummingbird come and it's flying, it's amazing. It sat for a moment and perched itself right where I was, and I just got to observe it. And a hummingbird doesn't stop much, but when it does, you take notice. And I actually kind of got choked up for a moment. <laughs> Because it forced me to slow down and take inventory of my soul for a moment. It forced me, even in that moment, to say, 
I have to stop and get out of myself and look at what's around me. And then it forced me to turn back inside and say, what's going on really in me that it would draw out such things? Let's ask that question as we look at this psalm together. We're going to look at two things. Seeing our limits, if you haven't already, but really seeing them and then also embracing them. How are our limits actually a gift from God? Not just encouraging, not just limits where you get to like pick up a new hobby, but a limit where you see yourself embraced by the one who it really takes care of us. Let's talk about seeing our limits. This is where it begins in verse one. <clears throat> oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. Some time ago, I got to hear... Um, a woman named Maggie Jackson, who's an author, journalist. You heard of her before. She's written a lot on um, the erosion of attention and multitasking, ironically. And she was speaking at this moment about technology. And I got to hear her talk about not just bat. She wasn't bashing technology. She was actually uh, trying to see what the technology has, has mined out of even our already eroding uh, attention. She even looked back into the Industrial Revolution where long before they had phones or anything like that, iPhone, computer in their pocket, just these giant machines are propelling and creating smoke, what it did. And what she found is that our attention is eroding because we're trying to multitask. In fact, many of us, I'm not a good multitasker. I'm not saying this is a great thing, but many of us are, are often, at least in this culture, brag about being multitaskers because we can do more than one thing. In fact, our phones, the creating technology has just created more of this, of us trying to limit, make ourselves limitless. And this is what the connection she made I thought was fascinating. She said, we've tried to disembody ourselves We've tried to put ourselves in a position where we can be limitless. If whatever we use around us, it could be the industrial revolution, it could be right now the tech we have, but to try and make ourselves limitless so that we can, and that's where multitasking comes from, so that we can rise above. See, what this psalm is saying, and maybe you recognize some of the language, oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up, my eyes are not raised too high. Actually, in other psalms, it says, my eyes, I lift my eyes up to the hills, where does my help come from? This is actually the opposite. This is eyes raised so high, they're trying to look above God himself. This is a heart that is lifted up in pride, almost like you can imagine a chest puffed out and a heart lifted up like this, like above everything else. In fact, maybe if you have a, a certain translation of the Bible, it says, my eyes are not too haughty. The word haughty means not too high. This is David reflecting on his soul about how he has seen his eyes try and go above God. And he's been made low. He's tried to put himself, it's like, almost like a boundary. He's seen his limits, but he's tried, to, he's tried to puff his heart out, his chest out, and lift his heart high. Try to be above God. But he's hit his limit, and now he knows, and he's, sing, and imagine singing this over and over in your head. There's an old uh, passage in the Bible at the very beginning in Genesis chapter 11 called the Tower of Babel that really describes this well. It's um, a narrative account of when a tower was built by people wanting to put themselves in a position of God level. 
So if you read this account in Genesis 11, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, this is the very beginning of the Bible, 11th chapter, very beginning. It's of a people who are trying to put themselves as high, if not higher, so that people will look up to them. In fact, there's a, there's a, a different version of this in what's called the Jesus Storybook Bible for kids that I love how it describes this. Maybe you've read this before or heard this, but it says in the Jesus Storybook Bible, they said, we will get people to look at us up here but God knew what they were doing and that they were trying to live without him. The fact that they were wanting people to look up to them and see them. This is a, this is a psalm that's causing us to, to think about being low. The Pharisees did this. Uh, if, if you've heard of the New Testament, all Jesus is arguing constantly with this group called the Pharisees. And what they were often doing and why he was arguing is they're arguing about the law, about trying to keep it, about trying to, what it meant. And Jesus was always saying to them, you're trying to, to, to make it more. You're trying to supersede yourself. See, what they would do is they were saying, we're keeping all this law. Why do you keep telling us we're so bad? Because they kept saying, we're keeping the law because we don't really need God if we're honest. It's kind of saying, yeah, I'm good. I got things kind of in control. I got this together. Kingdom looks all right. A few bumps here and there. But we really kind of see ourselves as limitless. Limitless doesn't mean you're walking around arrogant. It just means you don't see maybe your need for God. Your eyes are so high that you're like, yeah, he's great. He's great on Sunday. I'm glad we can talk about it some. He's a piece of my life. But he doesn't really hold the cards. He kind of just betters it. Are we looking up that? And David is saying, we have to be brought low. We have to be humbled. And here's the other side of this coin, though. Maybe a lot of us are sitting here and we may not feel like we're in a place of hating our limits necessarily. But we've just hit them. Maybe you've just hit your limits. And he says, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. Maybe it's not so much that you're, you're feeling kind of like, I don't need God, but maybe it's you just feel despondent and just completely discouraged. I'll tell you, that's where I've felt a lot. I've felt like my limits have just been hit and then moved back. We were just talking a minute ago and I'm sure many of you, especially students that are watching or listening, who are coming back to school every moment, it's like, yeah, we're going to start, we're not going to do classes now. We'll do classes here. You know, everything kind of gets moved back. The limits just keep, everything keeps getting tighter. I went to the store again, as, uh, and, and certain shelves are cleared off. It's like, again, we're doing this. We're back in it. The limits, we hit them. We're hitting him hard, trying to be a teacher, trying to be a parent, trying to be uh, a a worker, trying to care about your vocation, trying to be a friend, and it's all just mashed together in ways that we never thought we would. There's even a New York Times article that said, that was honest about this, saying, entitled, in the COVID-19 economy, you can have your kids or a job, but you can't have both. Many of you know that. Many of you know you're feeling the limits. It's like, I just can't have the things that I used to have. When, when his heart is being not too lifted up, what it is, it doesn't mean he's, he's just kind of giving up. 
It's not an inactivity that David is doing. It's actually an inactivity to address his soul. It's receiving limitation as a gift to see what he really needs. For our discouragement and our despondent, when you're feeling despondence and you're just feeling that weight of hitting your limits, or maybe you're in that place, you're hating the limitations, and maybe both all at once, what do we need to have our souls calmed and quieted? We need to see it as a gift. We need to be reminded how much and how often does David address his soul? He says this, but I have calmed and quieted my soul. It's like he's talking to himself. There are other psalms like this where he, he speaks. And it's not just he sees his limits, but he begins to speak into them. He begins to embrace them because he begins to talk to his own soul. And it can be weird looking at this and reading this. What, why soul? He's not talking to his heart. He's not talking to his eyes. He's not talking to something else in his life. He talks to his soul. He's talking about his entire existence. And instead of just looking at his limits and just hating him, he begins to say, how do I love, see my limits, embrace them, and also love them? Because this is where I'm really met. To actually be calmed and quieted isn't inactivity. It, it doesn't mean you shut down in the midst of hitting your limits. It means you actually see your limits and see who loves you in them. The hardest part about hating or hitting limits is that when you're in that place, you wonder who's really with you, especially right now. And what he's doing is saying, I need to calm and quiet my soul like a weaned child. He says it twice, like a weaned child, like a weaned child. Almost like last Psalm we looked at last week, Psalm 130 had a repetition. This has a repetition in it, like a weaned child. That there's a process. It takes time and it takes work for us to actually look into it. It's actually saying we need to take it up and look at it. It's a process. And if you don't know what weaning is, weaning is when a, a, a baby moves off of milk. It could be in any uh, a human, any mammal moves off milk to solid foods. It's a baby being taught to eat. It doesn't mean that the baby is eating away from its caretaker. It just means it's maturing. The child is maturing. And this is what Jesus brings up often to his disciples. You know, there's a moment in the New Testament when the disciples have, these children are being brought to Jesus. And, and Jesus uh, and, and they're like, why, quit bringing your kids to bother, we're, we're following, we're being taught right now. Why are you bringing your kids? They're making a mess. We don't need them here. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. If you don't let them come, you're not getting the kingdom. You don't understand what, the king, what my entire kingdom of God is about. In fact, he says, you have to become like a child to enter into it. What in the world does that mean? What does it mean to have our, our soul calmed and quieted? It means that we need to learn again what it means to be a child, dependent. And that maturity is not what we typically think it is. It means we're not independent, but dependent. See, Jesus talks about this quite a bit with his disciples. And these are the disciples, mind you. These are the people that followed him for years. And they still were like, we get this. They were still looking at the entire view of the kingdom of God as 
I've got this. I've achieved this. I've earned this. I've learned this. What's new about this? And Jesus says, no, no, no. Unless you humble yourself, unless you make yourself low like this child who's in need, who's dependent, you won't get, you won't get the kingdom. You won't get your relationship to me. You won't understand it. See, maturity isn't what we know. See, this is what it means to be a child. Maturity isn't what we know. It isn't looking at you and saying, you know a lot. You've learned a lot during this time. You picked up another hobby. Way to go. (laughs) You've done it all. It's actually maturity in what the Bible is saying is counterculture. It's what you don't know. It's who you aren't. See, like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me, is a soul that may be learning to grow and mature, but isn't just left away from the mom, but with. It's an apprehension. Maturing is a dependence and apprehension, not comprehension. One of my favorite uh, authors is a guy named G.K. Chesterton, and he wrote... Uh, a lot of books. He was kind of a precursor to C.S. Lewis. Many of you may have heard of C.S. Lewis. <clears throat> Before C.S. Lewis was G.K. Chesterton, and he wrote uh, often about the imagination, about what it was like to really in- interact with God in a time where everybody was trying to think like reasonable and logical. And he wrote this <clears throat> on what it means to be a madman. This is perfect for, I think, for us today. I th- he did about what really breeds insanity. What makes a person go crazy? And he said this. He said, to accept accept everything is an exercise. To understand everything is a strain. The poet only desires exaltation and expansion. A world to stretch himself in. The poet asks to get his head into the heavens. It is the logician, the person who wants everything in order, to know that they have everything right, who seeks to get the heavens into his head, and it is his head that splits. See what he's saying? He's not saying that it's not good to be orderly or have things organized. He's not getting at that at all. He's not saying it's bad to be a type A person. What he's saying is, when we think we have it all figured out, the moment, one of the biggest things that when I was in college, this campus minister said to me, because I was so, and I still have this struggle, when I hit anxiety, when I, when I see things in my life, I just want to do more because I can make up for it. And I used to do this in college a lot. I, I just filled my days because I could see a space and I'd go, God, I got I to do stuff there. And I remember a campus minister looking at me and going, you know what? The moment you think you have your arms wrapped around the gospel, that is the good news of Jesus, the moment you think you've got what it means to be a Christian is the moment you lost it. Because I'm thinking, oh, I get this. I don't need him. I don't need it as much as I did need it. See, what it means to be a child is you consistently see your need. What G.K. Chesterton's saying is, It's not that we comprehend everything. Comprehension is we get it. Like, you know, we can talk about grass and maybe talk about how it grows, that the water comes, those kind of things. And and we can talk, we can feel under our feet. Apprehension is knowing something is true and yet you can't get your arms around it. And there are a lot of things like that in life, aren't there? There's a lot of things going on in our lives right now, is that? 
And this is where we look at the limitations and receive them as a gift and say, God, you're with me. Because here's the thing about what it means to be a weaned child. If you raise your eyes, your heart too big and you raise your eyes too high, what are you missing? You're missing the eyes that look right back at you. If you raise your heart too much, if you lift your heart too much in the way it's describing here, what are you missing? Anybody really knowing you? Because what you want them to know you for is being the one who has it all together. You're not really known. To be known as limitless, to be known as perfect, rather known as what you aren't. To have your eyes met. And you know what it's like to have your eyes met instead of raising them too high. To have somebody really go into you and to know every limitation about you. That's dependence. That's what the Lord does with us. This is what David is saying. You want to know how you have a soul calmed and quieted is when you have your eyes met, when everything around you, you've hit the ceiling. And every little bump feels like more anxious than before. And every little safety precaution and everything we do creates more and more unrest. It's when your heart is held, not lifted up above it. And when somebody is right there with you, don't you know the calming and quiet? Isn't that how he can move from there to, oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. It's not getting in touch with your childlike self. It's getting in touch with what it means to be dependent, to be real, to be you. To actually know that maturity means you're dependent, not independent. There's a, uh, <clears throat> I don't know if you've seen the movie before, there's a, it's a based on a true story called uh, Finding Neverland. Have you seen that? It's a great movie. If you're looking for something to fill your time these days, uh, it was written about James Barry, who uh, was the author of Peter Pan. And in the early 20th century, 1904, uh, roughly, is uh, when James Barry actually uh, brought that out. It was actually a play at first, right? And he was really um, bringing a lot of these things to adults, uh, particularly at the Duke of York Theater. But he realized that this story that connected to, and if you know Peter Pan, to imagination, to childlike life, right, uh, was gonna ha- it was going to be a hard sell to a bunch of adults. <clears throat> so the night of the opening, genius move by James Barry. He <clears throat> opens the doors, all the adults come in, and they begin to sit. The band's still playing, the curtain's still down. And there, you notice in at least Finding Neverland, uh, if, if you watch it, you can see there are empty seats throughout the whole place. And you kind of go, oh, okay, well, maybe it just wasn't full. It didn't sell out. Man, that's a shame. It kind of didn't do what he wanted to do. And right before the curtain goes up and all the adults are seated, the f- doors fling open in the back and these children from all the orphanages around just flood in and fill all the empty seats. And, all, and they're just, just in ragtag clothing, but they're just so excited to be able to even go to the Duke of York Theater, to be able to see a play. They're already excited. They haven't seen anything yet and they're on the edge of their seat and the curtain goes up immediately and all the kids' eyes are glued to what's going on. 
And they begin laughing and they begin being uh, drawn up into the story. But all the adults are staring at the kids next to them. They can't even look at, at the stage. And at the beginning, it's like that. You see these adults so uncomfortable with what is going on. But as the play progresses and they see them laughing, they would turn and look to see what they're laughing at. And their eyes begin to move. And over the course to the very end, as the curtain comes down, everyone, kids and adults alike, are standing and cheering and clapping. And it was genius by James Berry because what he wanted to do is teach all of those adults who had all their life together to learn what it meant to look through the eyes of the children, to imagine, to connect to the wonder again, to laugh, to sing, to dance, to joy. Look, we get to come to a table that does more than a play. We get to come to a table that's more than just imaginary written play that needs to be acted out. This is real life. This table symbolizes something that's happened in reality, not just something that we hope. And it can connect to your heart in a way that causes joy and laughter and imagination and wonder again. Even to look at a hummingbird sitting on a wire and cause you to stop. (laughs) Because there's something more. Because we have a God that says, I want your eyes to meet me here. I want your heart to be held here. But this isn't a table where your eyes can be too high. Your heart can't be raised, lifted up too much because this table isn't about you. It's about Jesus. None of us can come to this table thinking we've earned it, achieved it, have it, figured it out. You can only come to this table knowing that Jesus is the only one that's done it. And then you get to have your eyes meet his as you taste his body and blood because he's earned it, he's achieved it, he's done it for you. He's the only one in the entire history of the world who says is, it is finished and you get to receive it. And you get to taste how your soul can be quieted, can be calmed by God who entered into the storm, let himself hit the ceiling, not just once, but over and over, so that in every walk, no matter what square you're in this morning, no matter where you are at home, you have a God who's met you there. He has stepped into your limits so that you can feel the limitless love that is in Jesus Christ. You need to know this as we stand together. Let's stand.